drugs that prevent blood from clotting. There are so many incredible and valuable uses for anticoagulant therapy. Proper uses of these drugs help prevent deep venous thrombosis, pulmonary embolism, strokes, and they enable all kinds of surgical procedures like cardiac bypass surgeries and vascular procedures. The discovery of warfarin, one of the first anticoagulants, actually dates back to the 1920s from the prairies of Canada and North America. Previously, healthy cattle started dying from internal bleeding with no obvious cause. And eventually, people figured out that the cattle had been grazing sweet clover hay and that the hemorrhaging occurred almost always when the climate was damp and the hay had become infected with a mold. The spoiled hay would normally have been discarded, but during the depression in the 20s, people had to pinch their pennies and they could not afford replacement fodder. So the hemorrhagic disease eventually became known as sweet clover disease. Frank Schofield and Lee Roderick, two local veterinary surgeons showed that the sweet clover disease could be reversed by getting rid of the moldy hay or transfusing fresh blood into bleeding animals, but that wasn't done very often. It took about another two decades of research, but eventually research funded by the Wisconsin Alumni Research Foundation identified the compound that was active. It was called dicumerol. This was about 1941. And guess what? They first used it as rat poison. And by 1951, doctors started using it to prevent blood clots. From there, many new drugs have been developed that help prevent blood clots, but they are risky. Bleeding is the biggest risk. So we're trying to prevent bleeding, but lo and behold, sometimes it's good to clot your blood. So today, with so many different drugs, anticoagulants are one of the most common drugs involved in serious drug complications. Well, there are a lot of guidelines produced that should help doctors use the anticoagulant safety. But you know, they're complicated, it's tricky, and things don't always work the way we want them to. So at Mayo Clinic, some of our clinicians have started an anticoagulant stewardship program to help. Today, we have a couple of those individuals here to help share all about that. Welcome to Key into Quality, a Mayo Clinic podcast focusing on healthcare quality, experience, and affordability trends and solutions. Thank you for joining. I'm Dr. Tim Morgenthaler. I'm a professor of medicine here at Mayo Clinic, and I'm the vice chair of Mayo Clinic Quality and Affordability. Co-hosting today with me is Sherry Nemec. Sherry? Hi, everyone. I'm Sherry Nemec, Consultation Relationship Manager for Quality at Mayo Clinic. I'm really excited, especially based on your opening comments. I didn't know any of that, Dr. Morgenthaler, about the cows. So I'm especially interested now to learn more about anticoagulants and what we're doing in stewardship programs at Mayo. So I'll turn it back to you to introduce our guest today. Yeah, yeah, thank you. It's, it's like penicillin was an accident, too. And here we're now <laughs> right. talking about warfarin. <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, our two guests today, Dr. Rob McBain and Anna Kramer, are uh, people from Mayo Clinic in Rochester. I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves. Rob, could you just tell us a little bit about you know, yourself, how long you've been at Mayo, and whatever else you want us to know about you? Rob McBain. I'm one of the consultants in vascular medicine of the Department of Cardiology, and uh, it turns out that Tim and I trained together. I've been at Mayo for some years, and we won't say how many, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but nonetheless, I've, I've been here for a while, and I'm one of the vascular division, as I've mentioned, and uh, in this role, I've participated in clinical and research endeavors uh, for clotting and bleeding, and that's how I arrive at the scene here today. Thanks so much, Rob. Anna, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Anna Kramer, and I have been in at Mayo for going on three years now, so not quite as long. <laughs> and prior to Mayo, I've worked in some 
capacity of quality or risk management for about 15 years. I have about 20 years of healthcare experience. Currently, my positions here at Mayo, I'm the operations manager for Southwest Wisconsin Quality. And then, as you know, now I'm also the administrative partner for the anticoagulation antiplatelet stewardship program. Thank you both for agreeing to talk with us today. I'm going to actually start with a question that maybe some of our listeners are wondering. Rob, I'm going to cheat a little bit because I do remember that you and I were in the same research lab as fellows. I think you were about four desks over from me, but I was working with rat lung cells and you were an anticoagulation guy even back then. Tell us a little bit about how you first got interested in this particular problem of managing anticoagulants well and, and how you started to think about dealing with it. I must admit that I'm a lifelong coagulation nerd. I remember uh, first seeing the coagulation cascade when I was in medical school. And unlike everybody else, I immediately ran to the library after the lecture and quickly memorized the coagulation cascade. And I've been in love uh, with coagulation since that time. And as you mentioned, Tim, uh, once we were uh, finished with our internal medicine training, we both then did some research and both did a couple of years of research. Mine was in biochemistry related to the coagulation cascade, and that really solidified my interest in both bleeding and clotting. Since uh, graduating, I've been a member of the vascular medicine group, but I also have a joint appointment in hematology because of this interest in clotting. So part of my entire career has been the evaluation and treatment of patients with bleeding and clotting disorders. As you've nicely pointed out, this balance of treating patients with clotting and bleeding disorders is very much a a balance of the pros and the cons of these therapies, uh, which can be quite dangerous if not treated appropriately. And this then stems into our current role, my current role, as uh, the chair of the subcommittee on antithrombotics, which is devoted to the safe and effective management of antithrombotic therapy across the institution. And I'm very thankful to have Anna as a partner in this process. Anna, if I might ask, so Dr. McBain has been you know, interested in this like forever. And I know you're relatively recent to Mayo Clinic. You're elbow deep into this uh, stewardship project. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about you know, how it's gotten organized and what makes it a stewardship program. I will just add to to piggyback off what Dr. McBain was saying, you know, being a non-clinical person, we all know somebody that's on an anticoagulant. You know, we know it by the brand name. So it, there's a big need for this. And how it got started was our prior chief value officer, Dr. Henry Ting, envisioned a more systematic approach to managing anticoagulants and antiplatelet use in our enterprise. So some of those discussions took place in early 2019. At that time, Sari Vitek was the administrative partner for the stewardship program that she was asked to start it. So we would really not be doing the program justice if we didn't give her some kudos on the great work that she did to get this program up and going. But she really then started to look at what are our other two stewardship programs doing in the organization? So the antimicrobial and opioid stewardship program and looked at what's working for them, what's not and really started to shape it on those principles. And from there, they had their first meeting March of 2020. Maybe you could share with us a little bit. Again, I think this word stewardship is something that uh, 
you know, we don't all think about stewardship programs. We have had some discussions and we'll have more discussions, I think, this year about stewardship programs. What are the hallmarks of any stewardship program or maybe in particular of the stewardship program for anticoagulation? I mean, for me, like a stewardship program and how I see it working in our enterprise, our organization is just the multi-departments and across the enterprise and bringing all of the different stakeholders in. So we're not siloed in any one location or one area that we're really bringing everyone in for these discussions. And that's evident in our subcommittee and all of the deep and thoughtful discussions that are happening. I think it's really been able to come up with some you know, great solutions and then some. So and we might talk about that a little bit later that sometimes it even uh, provokes additional workshops or additional you know, improvement teams because of that. And I don't think if you have the stewardship and all of the folks that are involved that we would get to that. If I could just piggyback onto that, uh, you know, when thinking about antithrombotic stewardship, what we're really talking about is the best practices for safety and efficacy of these agents, which only work if they're delivered appropriately. And you might say, well, that's simple. Just take the medication and everything will be fine. As you have mentioned, our grandfather drug, if you will, warfarin, requires a fair amount of, of interaction with the patient and monitoring and dose adjustments and by the way, what happens if they need a, a major surgery? How do we manage that patient during the periprocedural period? Uh, what happens if they go into the hospital? What then transitions from the hospital to the outpatient arena? And so there are a number of really important aspects of anticoagulation management that are beyond simply just taking the drug. We think of hard outcomes like major bleeding and clotting, death as a major outcome that we want to prevent, of course. But then there are softer outcomes, such as medication adherence, medication interactions. How are these drugs metabolized? How are we gonna manage patients who have alternate illnesses, which may affect how the drugs are being metabolized? And how do you manage that when we're talking about tens of thousands of patients? And so I think it really takes a small army Thankfully, we've been able to assemble a really dedicated, really enthusiastic army of individuals who, uh, I guess, like me, are somewhat of, a, of anticoagulant nerds, which is kind of, kind of fun to, to banter around these, uh, these concepts. That's a whole new level of description of anticoagulant nerd, Dr. McBain. So I like that. You mentioned the Army or this importance of this being a multidisciplinary effort. So who did you involve? Who are those important people along the way as you got this work going? So first and foremost, uh, uh, one might think, okay, this is going to be uh, cardiologists and hematologists, period. And of course, that's uh, far from the truth. We've established a, a working group, a, a fairly large working group of across multiple disciplinary teams and providers, as well as nurses. It turns out that nursing and pharmacy are huge advocates for this type of uh, program. So it's, it's not just providers, it's nurses, it's pharmacists, it, it's uh, data informaticists, it's um, individuals from the Kern Center. We've done a lot of recruiting, if you will, across the institution in order to assemble people who are really excited about this. The list is long and it truly is multidisciplinary. I'm going to just put a little pause in the progress of this. You know, some of our listeners might really wonder, well, why do you need all that 
stuff and all those people and you know artificial intelligence and and so forth so i'm going to make up a story and then i'm going to ask you to kind of comment on it okay you know i'm a guy who's kind of cruising into uh you know let's just say i'm no longer in the early 40 years and uh, i develop a disease let's say it's a atrial fibrillation that's pretty common out there my doctor you know they read the literature let's say i end up on coumadin which is uh is warfarin you know how long am i going to be on that drug how does your group help figure out what dose I should be? What happens when I start taking an antibiotic? What happens when I have to go in for my maybe every decade colonoscopy? Tell us a little bit of some of those stories so that people understand what's going on with all that. Yeah, so this is a super great question. And honestly, it's super complicated. The first thing is recall that while you as an individual are super important and invaluable, for sure you are, the average person very, very important. But remember that this is one person amongst hundreds of thousands that we manage at Mayo Clinic. So the first issue is how are we going to identify this individual with atrial fibrillation such that we can inform their care process team such that they need to be on an anticoagulant. And so that's perhaps the first and foremost issue. And we have electronic means of identifying these individuals, alerting their provider and telling them that they need, they should at least consider anticoagulant therapy. Secondly, then we have this conversation with the individual and we say, well, first of all, listen, what drugs do you want to be on? And here are the pros and cons of each of the many drug opportunities that you have and you choose warfarin. We realized that at that point, we're committing this individual to a lifelong drug. We've talked about this earlier in the podcast. How are we going to monitor that patient? How are we going to take care of them? We know that warfarin interacts with a number of different medications, a, different, a number of different changes in metabolism, including acute illness or chronic illness, uh, disease of the liver, what have you. And we know that these patients are going to need very careful management over the course of their, of their life. And for this, we've developed monitoring programs. Currently, our home INR monitoring program, which allows the individual to test weekly, is a very good example. And then we say, okay, now what are we going to do when this individual needs to have their colonoscopy, for example? You're over 50, let's say, and you need a colonoscopy at some interval or some intervals. How are we going to manage that? We've developed strategies to both identify the procedure and then to develop best practices around how that procedural, periprocedural warfarin is going to be managed and what the event rates are going to be. And then, for example, we've got, you mentioned drug-drug interactions. Well, we have pharmacy teams who are carefully monitoring the drug-drug interactions such that the new antibiotic prescription will alert the care process team, the, the anticoagulation team, that we have this interaction, and therefore the dose is carefully monitored and, and uh, adjusted. So this is just one little avenue, and it's a major avenue numerically, because as you've nicely pointed out, there are probably four to six million Americans uh, with this arrhythmia who require anticoagulant uh, management. And uh, while it might be simple for the individual, it is enormously complicated for the population, and it requires teams, it requires infrastructure, it requires artificial intelligence. Thank you so much you know, for taking the story and showing that, because I just wanted to highlight for our listeners, if I'm on the patient side of that, you know, thank you to the stewardship team, you have my back. Because when I go into urgent care, because I have a bronchitis, and they start me on uh, some kind of a supercillin or something, thank you, because you're going to advise then me or my provider 
oh, you know, he really needs to monitor more carefully or change his dose of the anticoagulant for a while. So I don't end up with a bleed. And so thank you for that. You know, thank you for having my back as the patient. But now I'm going to switch my hat over. I'm a physician. You know, I've got uh, 20 patients I'm seeing today. And one of them I'm getting lined up for their colonoscopy or their, their procedure. Thank you again. You have my back because you're going to advise me how to best manage Tim Morgenthaler as he goes through that process. And that's not inconsequential. That's really valuable. And that doesn't happen everywhere. So I, I just think that that's the beauty of this, this system that you're creating. Anna, as you were working alongside in this whole thing, what's been most surprising to you? A lot of things. <laughs> um, I will just say when I first started, it, it was a lot to take in because there's a lot of moving parts to it. I was at first very surprised at just the magnitude of how large the program was. Not only do we have a subcommittee that meets every month of fabulous experts from around our enterprise, but we have an, an executive team that meets twice a month. And then we have six work groups that meet, that work on specific issues and specific focuses that also have their own group. And they meet you know, regularly, at least monthly, most of them. So just the sheer magnitude of the work that's going on was very surprising. And now, you know, just it's kind of interesting too. We have folks that come regularly and want to present to our committee. They've got great stuff that they want to share that's related to anticoagulation, antiplatelet. Very seldom do we have to seek anyone out. And we have folks all the time that want to join and ask us about, you know, how can we be involved? So that's very surprising, but it's fabulous too, because it shows the engagement. So you've been at this for a, a, a bit of time now, learned some things I'm sure along the way. So where are you now? What are some of the things that you're focusing on currently? We currently have six work groups. And as Anna mentioned, these work groups meet regularly offline and as their own entity. And then they report to our subcommittee. They report to our executive committee. So to say that we have an inundation of meetings is, I think, very much uh, underselling the amount of work that's being done. But the things that we are doing right now are two really important projects. One is hospital transitions. And we know that patients who go into the hospital or leave the hospital on a new antithrombotic have a potential for having a safety event. Either they don't have enough of the medication, they don't have appropriate follow-up, or they don't have appropriate management. And so we've been working really hard to make that transition both outpatient to inpatient and especially inpatient to outpatient seamless, safe, and effective. And so that's our first work group. Our second work group is our home INR monitoring program. And Tim mentioned uh, warfarin. We have a very robust home INR monitoring program that we're trying to uh, make as, as good as possible. And we have a long experience with home INR monitoring, but we are now exploring ways to interact better and more frequently with the patient through Bluetooth technology and through an interactive care process model. We have done our due diligence for financial experience with regards to home INR. And what we want to do is make it as affordable as possible to the patient who's being managed in this fashion. We know that this is a safe and effective way of managing warfarin, and this is a priority. So the first two priorities for 2022 are the transition project and the home INR monitoring project. 
We also know that DOACs, direct oral anticoagulants, Eliquis, uh, Zarelto being name brands, are taking over the anticoagulant market, and they are extraordinarily effective and safe. And as such, they have been really skyrocketing in their use across our institution, across the globe. And so we have another work group, our third work group, who are devoted to managing these individuals, including assuring that they are adherent and compliant to their medication, and then making sure that we understand how they get through their periprocedural period and making sure that we understand metabolism for these individuals. Fourth, we have a metrics program. And this metrics program we could talk about for an hour easy. When we started our whole process, what we really want is we want a global metrics process that will find and identify patients without a major bleed, a thrombotic event, or an anticoagulant-related death. And so I thought this, of course, is the most important thing. And that was a top-down approach to metrics. And we've gotten some really nice tools for this purpose. As we've worked through this, we found out that that's not so actionable. And so rather than doing a top-down approach to metrics, we're now pursuing a ground-up uh, approach where we provide metrics for each of these work groups that are actionable. So it's one thing to know about thrombotic events, for example, but it has to be an actionable metric in order to be effective. We have DVT prevention strategies, uh, and Tim knows this well. He's been in this space forever, but we have a really good relationship with the House of Surgery, and we're developing a system for managing the peri-surgical patient and preventing as much as possible a DVT through a best practices of DVT prevention delivery using a Caprini risk calculator for each patient. More recently, we're developing the same type of project for patients who are hospitalized. We have very strong relationship with nursing, and so we have a sixth work group, which is devoted to nursing protocols. We want them to have the ear of the provider and the leadership, so we meet regularly with our nursing colleagues. And so those are the six uh, balls that are flying in the air, and Anna can attest. It keeps both of us very, very busy, and it's fun to work through, but it's a lot of effort. Yeah, amazing work. Uh, your enthusiasm reveals itself, and uh, thank you for it. I mean, I share your enthusiasm. I think this was really a, a visionary project to embark on. I don't know of many other medical centers that have as robust and comprehensive a program, and I know that you're always constructively dissatisfied and want to do better. If you peer into, you know, next year, what do you see as the benefit of all this for Mayo Clinic patients? Yeah, I mean, a real simple answer, which is what our vision is, is safe care, the safest care possible. So it equates to the Mayo Clinic primary value, which the need of the patient comes first. And that's really our biggest focus out of, you know, all of our mission and vision and our goals. That's really what we come back to. And how can we simply do that, not only for the care team, but for the patients too, to make that easy for them which is why the home INR monitoring is so important. It's a priority this year. So I really expect to see these things become easier for both sides in our organization and for the patient and to continue to work on those things. That's just beautiful. I, I have one last question and either for either one of you. We're very fortunate to have people like you, experienced, passionate, knowledgeable leaders who engage all these other people Let's say you're an organization that really doesn't have the program started. What would you say are the first important steps for them to take? 
what's really helpful, uh, Tim, is to look to see where the problems are in your institution. And uh, we, we have a system called Midas. We have uh, new systems uh, coming. What we've found is that some of the problems are directly related to warfarin, warfarin management. So I, I would say if you were going to tackle something at your institution, it would be the safe and effective management of warfarin. And then secondly, if, if I was going to start afresh at a brand new organization, I would identify those individuals who are super engaged in this type of healthcare delivery and a team that is really engaged here, shockingly super engaged is our pharmacy team. And we have our pharmacy team come up with quality initiatives for the residents and for the staff, meaning the pharmacy staff. And this is an army of individuals who are very smart and very engaged. I think it's really important to engage nursing. Again, a very passionate and compassionate group of individuals. And I would richly recruit from our nursing colleagues because this is right down their alley. It's important, I think, to have a provider champion. And then it's a matter of simply peeling the onion and finding out where the defects are in your institution. I think if you started with Warfarin, that would be a wonderful place to start. Yeah, I can just add to that to pay back off what Dr. Mary Bain is saying, really looking at the structure and having a bona fide structure of what are the elements of a good stewardship program, especially the anticoagulation stewardship program, and starting with that skeleton, but also drawing it back to the Joint Commission National Patient Safety Goal to reduce the likelihood patient harm associated with anticoagulant therapy. There's a lot of great information in there. Not only are we should be doing that, but it's a good starting point if an organization does not know quite where to start. Boy, you two, we might have to have you back to talk about those metrics. And this is just great work. You're affecting so many patients and physicians and nurses and everybody who works with this, you know, making their lives easier and safer and really working towards that vision of keeping the needs of our patients first. Thank you so much. I do think we've come to the end of our podcast, but we're really glad that our listeners could join us. I hope that the information provided has been insightful and valuable and can help you get started on a program like this if you don't have it where you're working. Again, Mayo Clinic's Key into Quality podcast aims to help you take some of those first steps to address important quality challenges in your organization. The development of this podcast is part of our effort to be a valued resource to healthcare organizations across the globe. Our goal is to improve quality for patients and the populations we all serve. Please let us know if you have any ideas for this podcast. And if you enjoyed it, please share the information about the podcast with others in your organization so that the information can be spread. Until next time, goodbye.